Welcome to Pod for Teacher. I'm Aaron Fitzpatrick. I'm Nate Langelli. And I'm Krista Milanovic. For this month's pod, we did a little film study, and we'll be breaking down the documentary The Social Dilemma. While we will tell you that the film is currently available on Netflix, we have yet to receive any advertising revenue for discussing it in this format. However, if any producers happen to stumble upon our humble podcast and feel so inclined, I have tens of thousands of dollars in student loans with your name on them. Actually, my name is currently on them, but I will gleefully replace my name with yours. Just say the word. But I digress. I feel as though we're not taking the hint. Like we've been doing this for a little while now, and we have yet to secure any corporate sponsors. I we, have think- to, we, we have yet to, to secure any cease and desist letters also. <laughs> right? Always see the, see the good. The glass, the glass is half full, right? I like it. I like it. Okay. So speaking of social media, there are plenty of pros to social media in our lives today. Crowdsourcing, for example, that Aaron had referred to as help folks raise money for medical procedures, funerals, recoveries after natural disasters, and other worthwhile causes. But on the flip side, um, Social media can also contribute to addiction, which allows for a much easier spread of misinformation, makes its users more susceptible to conspiracy theories, and makes it easier for hate groups to connect and to organize. With all that said, here is our essential question for today. Is social media a necessary evil? How is it impacting our educational system and society And what can we do to get a handle on it when our habits of social media consumption seem to worsen with time? Sounds very ominous. Dun, dun, dun. It does. Our answers to these questions, plus our conversations with some of our students on the topic a little later in the pod. But first, this word from Jamiroquai. So first things first in this. So this is The Social Dilemma, as we mentioned. It is on Netflix. And what it, there's also a website that accompanies um, this, this movie, this documentary. They have a website for it, too? They do. They do Great. have a website. It's called thesocialdilemma.com. Okay. But um, what the purpose of it was to explore the rise of social media and the damage that it is causing to our society focusing on its exploitation of its users for financial gain through surveillance capitalism and data mining. How the design is actually meant to nurture the addiction, doubling as an advertising platform geared only toward making money. Essentially, they are deeming us as puppets. I'm thinking of Pinocchio in the song, Ain't Got No Strings On Me, whatever it is. Is Right, right. All right. Perfect. Are you going to sing it? No. Oh, no. If I was a puppet, I would like to be one of the, uh, you know, one, one of the, the Muppets up in the balcony, you know. Statler and Waldorf. Statler, Statler and Waldorf. The old oh, yeah. guys that make, you know, these comments, these snarky comments all the time. That That's, I, I'm with you. That's like a life dream of mine. I don't know how we achieve that, but I think we're heading down the right path, buddy. I think we're so, too. <laughs> you guys are looking good. 
Oh, well, thank you. According to the website, the dilemma, they actually split up the dilemma into um, three into three separate categories. One dealing specifically with mental health, one dealing with democracy, and the other with discrimination. And mental health being um, with, as it equates to a higher use of social media, in turn is going to equal a decline in the mental well-being. Persuasive design techniques like push notifications and the endless scroll of your newsfeed have created a feedback loop that keeps us glued to our devices. For the democracy point, they're talking about fake news and political disinformation. Social media advertising gives anyone the opportunity to reach huge numbers of people with phenomenal ease, giving bad actors the tool to sow unrest and fuel political divisions. This one, I think, is what hit me the most, the discrimination factor, where 64% of people are being steered toward extremist groups because of the algorithm, which is the set of instructions that the computer program gives the social media platform. The algorithm actually promotes the content that's going to spark the outrage, hate, and it amplifies the biases within the data that we feed them. You bring up an interesting point uh, talking about not just this movie, but social media in general. And there's, a, I don't know if you've heard this argument, but people saying, hey, you know, it's free speech. Um, it's allowing people to express themselves, uh, capitalism, free market. But I guess it, it's looking at the fact is how free really is this market and how, I don't know if you want to use the word manipulative is it at times. Maybe that word is too harsh. I don't know. Um, but I think it's very interesting because a lot of times people say, there are a lot of, there's a lot more opportunities to express myself. There's a lot more free speech. There's a lot more information out there. Isn't that a good thing? And I think it's important to note that, okay, while some of that may be true, there is always another side, another aspect of it to consider as well. Well, and I think that's what was really interesting. And as you mentioned, the manip manipulative factor, and, and that's essentially what they're saying is that they, what is being shown to you on social media the, you know, all of the, the newsfeed itself, the sponsored ads, everything, it's all calculated based off of, of your demographic, based off your previous likes, based off of everything. So that so much so that things are being geared that you have no control over and you're just starting to see things possibly then agree with those things. And you have a complete paradigm shift of thinking. Yeah. And it should be no surprise you should do a social experiment. We should, we should all, we've probably been there. Like say we're talking, our phones aren't even on. And maybe Amy and I are saying, Hey, maybe we need a Kiwi slicer. Next time you turn on your phone, all of a sudden, lo and behold, there's an advertisement for a Kiwi slicer. It's like it read my mind. It's or crazy. Just listening to you. Yeah. Or, you know, next time you do a Google search or whatever, if maybe you Bing. Who uses Bing, I don't know, but you use a Google search and then you're scrolling through and oh my, there's an advertisement for a dealership. You're looking up maybe Subarus. You did a Google search for Subarus and then you're on Facebook or whatever. And there's an advertisement. Look at this local Subaru dealer. It's just a big coincidence, right? Isn't that what it is? It's all like a big coincidence. It's listening to you. Yes, they claim it's not. But no, it's not a coincidence. That's what this, that's what everything is saying. Like what you search is then what's geared to, towards you to a level that you didn't realize, that none of us realized. And I consider myself to be pretty much in the know, but this was a jaw-dropping information as far as I was concerned.
at the base of it all, some of the things that stood out, it's like they compete for our attention. That's one of the things that was sticking out from this is the fact that just like any television show, you need eyeballs to get sponsorship. You need eyeballs in order to generate money. These are these companies are worth a lot of money. Last I checked, Facebook, Google, Apple, Amazon, whatever it is, like they don't get rich for nothing, right? <laughs> so that competing for our attention, they build models that can predict our actions, and whoever builds the best model can win. And so they're going back and forth. I'm not trying to be cold-hearted and say they don't care about people, but at the end of the day, we're talking about companies. We're talking about corporations, and their primary objective is to make money, I think, as a company, right? Not that that's bad to make money, but let's be honest, when we're the consumers, we should at least know what we're consuming, I guess, is the point of it all, right? Uh, some of the main goals, three main goals uh, that was brought up would be engagement. So it says to drive up your usage to keep you scrolling. It's like, ooh, that looks interesting. I'll keep scrolling. Ooh, that's interesting. I'll keep scrolling. Instead of like, you know, changing the channel on TV, you know, instead of going to a different app. So engagement, growth to keep you coming back, maybe inviting your friends who invite more friends. And then advertising, make as much revenue as possible while that's all happening. And it's all very, very slick. I mean, I like social media. I like all this technology. But I think it is important to know, like, okay, what's the uh, what's the agenda behind all of it? And maybe that's what people they're trying to bring awareness to, like, what is the overall agenda behind um, all these things that these companies are doing? The, the one one specific line that they not only said on the on the documentary there, but they actually published on the screen, <laughs> where that there are only two industries. There are only two industries that call its customers users: illegal drugs and technology. And wow, right? I mean, and it, yes, I mean, it just on its face, that is a very, that's uh, a harsh statement to make. Um, it's, a, it's a very brash statement to make. But I will say, I mean, both have the same goal, right? So like, it's not just calling their, their customers users. You're talking about like, so illegal drugs thrive whenever their customer base gets addicted to them. And then yeah. they keep them back and they'll do what it takes to keep getting the product. Um, even if whatever, you know, it, by all means, right. And technology is the same way. So they, they understand that there's that addiction is at the root of it and they need to do everything they can to keep their customers addicted. So they keep buying new products. They keep making accounts, opening up their phones and the apps and scrolling through and keeping them on them as long as possible. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's interesting. I also think that like we have experienced like so with the the mental health side of it that's included with that engagement and um the growth and the advertising all like our youth or younger generations are being inundated with this information more than than we ever were obviously and in fact like generation z is the first generation to um, have used social media since middle school. And according to the U.S. Hospital Admissions for Self-Harm and Suicide, that generation is actually more anxious, fragile, depressed, less comfortable taking risks, and um, actually few have, you know, fewer have driver's license in Generation Z. And it's interesting the impact that you know, they're, they're, or the correlation rather they're attempting to draw between those, those characteristics and the social media use. You know what, the, I, I, that just really kind of rung a bell with me whenever I, uh, when I heard them talk about the, especially the driver's license issue, 
so obviously I've, we've mentioned this before, but it, one of my uh, jobs here is advising the student newspaper. And I had pushed for years. I kind of noticed that on my own here. And I thought, man, it seems like there are a lot of, you know, eligible drivers that go to school here that just choose to not take their tests. And, you know, I know whenever I was in school, um, you know, I, I knew some of my friends that wouldn't take their test because maybe they didn't have a car available to them to drive. And so like, well, what's the point if I don't have a car or whatever? Um, and so, like, you know, I'd start to ask students, you know, why, why have you not gotten your test? You're just not interested. You don't have a car to, to, to be able to get away from home every once in a while, whatever. And it just was a, it was a lack of interest. So they didn't really have great answers, but I always sort of wondered what could be at the root of that. Now, so I'd push the newspaper, uh, you know, some of, some of the staff, like, why don't you look into this a little bit, try to see like what, what it could be. I didn't really think about it being a, you know, potentially a social media phenomenon that, you know, there's just so much distraction out there that it's like, well, I can do this from home. I can do this from anywhere. I don't need to travel out there to connect with people in real life. Right. That that's absolutely one side of it. Well, I know they've, done, they've done a lot of studies too. While that's true, you can still connect. We all know as we're teaching in this virtual model, virtual connection versus physical connection face-to-face, that's an entirely different ball game in terms of as a human race, how we interact with one another. And so while we are maybe connecting and people could be talking to more and more people through Snapchat, through whatever, there is still something to a physical presence of another person. And I, and I, this is all still fairly new. We're talking the first iPhone came out in 2007. Mm-hmm. Like how fast, like we've ramped up <laughs> our speed on technology. And I do appreciate the word addiction. I don't know if people fully would agree that it's an addiction, but it's, you could argue like, how often are we on it? How often do we need to be looking at it? How often do we need to be touching it, right? Like in terms of like just our phone and things like that. Um, so all those sort of things. They did a study, uh, I put it, I was talking to students earlier because we were talking about addiction in our psych class and stuff. And it was D Scout research, they put it out. On average, this is an average that they found that a person touches their phone 2,617 times in one day. In one day. And that's an average. So there's people touching their phone a lot more, obviously some less. And we were just talking and some kids were just, I would, I do it every once in a while to just to check for me. If you ever check your screen time on your phone, you ever go in there and look at screen time. And some students were saying maybe, oh, eight hours this day, 10 hours that day. And that could be even for like a weekly average. And it's like, wow. Now maybe sometimes things are running in the background. I understand that, but it is a part of our culture. And even though there are a lot of benefits, like are we not necessarily looking at some of the the harmful side effects as much as maybe we should. Um, so, well, and I think it's not the harmful. I mean, yes, to say it's a, a side effect, but I I think the thing that that hit home so much was that, and I don't know the way I can describe it is that if if I had a, a deck of cards, fifty two cards, right, of everything that you could possibly experience in your life somebody's in charge of giving me cards that they think I'm interested in based off of, of anything, a Google search, a previous like, whatever it is. So I, I don't know what I'm going to be yet, quote unquote, and I'm just going to take an, you know, I'm going to assume I'm a high school student or younger, and I don't know what I'm going to be yet, right? And so here's my 52 cards that I could be there, there's someone could the, the computer algorithm for social media, for TikTok, for everything is controlling what I see. So I might not see half that deck 
right? But at the same point, I now believe all these things because it's what's it's it's like brainwashing and it's in a form that is is so slight that we don't realize it until over time it it literally changes our way of thinking. Sure. I, I have a problem with that, right? Yeah. I, I don't want anyone controlling the cards, right? Like I want to see everything. And yeah. and that's the point I think that these these people who were CEOs at Facebook and, and Pinterest and and in charge of developing like the Facebook like button, for instance, they're they're in charge and they're sounding the alarm saying like we created this, it's a problem, we want you to know about it but there's really no true solution aside from awareness, right? Like, because there is a level of, of need. What we should do is the three of us, we sign into our Google accounts. We type in the exact same Google search and let's see what all the results are. Cause I bet you they're probably not of the same results. They know what we've looked at in the past. They know our like, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't have the, even though you would think you'd have the same results pop up, that's not how it works, right? They're talking about like these algorithms and all this other stuff. And so there you go. Just you know, it's great that you can sync across devices, right? Like that's obviously capturing data. Right? Sure. Everything sure. is capturing data. And I want to kind of go back to a point that you had made before, Nate, when you were saying about how many times we touch our phones in a day. Uh, one, one term that they used in the documentary that kind of stood out to me was referring to your phone and, and social media use as a digital pacifier. It's like, ouch, like as soon as I heard it, I, I knew what they were getting at before they even elaborated. But my gosh, like how, how true is that? Right. I mean, we we have moments of time, quiet moments of time in our lives where maybe nothing is happening. And, and how thankful sometimes we are for those quiet moments. Right. You know, we, we have, uh, you know, stressful jobs. We have family obligations. We you know, we have lots of things that we have to do, um, you know, throughout our days. But we have these quiet moments and we cannot some most of us cannot let them pass. Those quiet moments are filled with that phone has to come out of our pocket. We have to log in. We have to look at anything that pops up that captures our attention. And the, the one point that you made before, Kristen, that really resonated with me was the whole, the, the feedback loop that this creates, especially with uh, in terms of push notifications. I have a problem. <laughs> and I, in one of my, this is a, this is a true, uh, this is something that I, I want to change about myself. I will divulge that to you right now <laughs> that I will open up my phone in those quiet moments more often than I should, like most of us do, right? I see the push notifications. I don't care what the app is. It's not even an interest in the app that makes me open the app. I need to make the push notification go away. It drives me absolutely crazy. Turn them off in the settings. Okay. So here, like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get to that, right? Okay. That is a that is a piece. Of, I know Nate's going to get uh, a little bit later here. He's going to get to some of the advice that the experts have to, to, to telling you how to, to manage some of this stuff. But um, there are certain things whenever you know you turn off notifications in your settings, where then you're manually having to check certain things to see uh, you know if you have something. And, and I, part of me, part of me personally worries like, okay, will I check this stuff more? if I don't know that something's there waiting for me. Um, and granted, like we all know this too, a push notification on an email, you know you have an email, right? A push notification on Facebook or Twitter, a lot of times means nothing. 
It, it's not somebody sent you a message, somebody added you as a friend or tagged you in a photo or something like that. Sometimes it's literally just the app being active, throwing something at you that they think you might be interested in. And, they're, and, and, and they intentionally, I believe, make it difficult for you to turn off the kind of notifications right. that, well, that I so with Facebook, right? So I did. I turned all of my like I I'm over notifications. I've not, I I don't care what I'm missing, right? That's kind of my thought process behind this. You missed well, the birth of my child, Kristen. What's that? You missed the birth of my child. Yeah. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad, K Mill. So did Aaron. Yeah. Oh, perfect, perfect. But I I've noticed that like obviously I still check social media so I'm still like I'll I'll go into Facebook and there's obviously notifications in Facebook right and I know I'm dating myself but still either way it it tells me when my friends have commented on other friends posts it has nothing to do with me it's like oh Aaron just commented on Nate's post right? Because what's it trying to do? Like it's trying to get that engagement, right? Because I'm making the Facebook al algorithm angry because I'm not falling prey to their games anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So like now the, it's like the notifications have changed to try and, you know, get my curiosity. Like, oh, I wonder what Nate said to Aaron or Aaron said to Nate, right? To get me to try and move. Like it's, it's disturbing. So basically what you're saying is you are now at the stage in the matrix where you are Keanu Reeves all bald and you have been spit out and you're all covered in slime because you've been yeah. disconnected yeah. from the machine. I'm, the cards. I'm done. I, that's I agree. It. I will. I will agree. I know we're kind of jumping ahead talking about some of yeah. these tips, but I months ago I lit. I did. I shut off every single notification except for my text messages. And I can tell you from my personal experience, AA Ron, I check the stuff less actually. It is. I don't feel. I don't feel a need to go in there and oh, did I? Like, I, it I was, it. For me personally, it was very liberating. Now I have turned some on for school. Like if I get a school email um, or stuff like that, but I have, other than that, I have to open up my news, right? I have to open up my social media ones. I have to open up all this other stuff. And I find myself actually doing it less. It was so easy when I had a notification just to kind of scroll through, oh, I'll click, see, even if I just did it for like three seconds, mm -hmm. right? Or 10 seconds or whatever it is, those small amounts of time, they just add up. Like they just add them. And so for me personally, like I said, I did that months ago. And it's for me, I, I've enjoyed it. I haven't regretted it. Um, but there you go. get on board. <laughs> well, I, one one point that I, I wanted to make here, my, my, my last point, I'd suppose, before uh, to turn it over to Nate with the rest of that advice that he, that he referenced there. That makes it a little difficult in, in, in my situation and not just not just my situation, but um, Kristen, I know you deal with this and, and anybody who has to kind of part, uh, partake in social media, uh, management, I guess, as part of their jobs. Um, so again, you know, managing three separate like news organizations for, for our school. Um, you know, I got the newspaper, I got the yearbook, we got the broadcast program. And then I also manage the social media accounts for the, for our school district. Um, and Kristen, I know as the fortune 500 accounts, got to keep in the DECA account and just has to keep an eye on this. So like as an advisor, you can't, and you know, you can turn over and you can teach your students how to use social media, but you can't give them carte blanche without some sort of oversight. So we have to be connected in that way. So, I mean, I, I know I'd said years ago that had I not been in charge of some of these things and had to keep an eye on them for work purposes, um, I would have deleted some of the apps from my phone. So I would have had to manually log in. And so I know that that's part of the problem for me. Um, but, but on that topic of news and, and being an advisor, 
um, I, I kind of wanted to get into the news aspect of this, right? So um, it, it was sort of referenced before, but uh, and, and we've talked about it in previous episodes, but fake news spreads six times faster on Twitter than real news. That is terrifying, right? It, it becomes dangerous in times of a global health crisis as well. So here we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and then we have six times the amount of content coming out that's Fake. producing conspiracy theories and you know trying to tie the the pandemic to election results and saying you know mask effectiveness and 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 all of this stuff or whatever and like you know this is difficult enough to to kind of go through i mean for for everybody right it, like no one no one's having a great time during the pandemic it, but something like that whenever i did learn how to crochet where where are our sweaters? They're coming. <laughs> Do they match? Um, maybe, but you know, little lap blankets in case you get chilly. Okay. Well, we've all had a little. I, I digress. I digress. <laughs> right. No one is having fun, right? We, we, you know, some some folks have made some sourdough bread loaves and, and learned to crochet and stuff. So like, there's some, but there's some positives. But what my my ultimate point is. It's it's been a rough seven or eight months, you know, for a lot of people. Um, some people are struggling more than others. And then, in the time that they have, they have to try to you know discern fact from fiction when it comes to their uh, their actual health. Whenever they're trying to, whenever they're uh, like mining content on social media, and you know, and they're seeing it spread around, you know, uh, like a virus. Uh, not to you know, like right. no pun intended. Um, so. Here's the here's the problem with that, and and this is the problem that I have as a uh, as a media advisor and a media consumer. Tech companies claim to provide a service, and they don't want to be the gatekeepers or arbiters of truth. So every time, you know, somebody of prominence or you know something is spread around social media that is complete garbage information, Mark Zuckerberg as testifies to Congress. That he, you know, that he just offers this social media service. He's not the only one, but he's, you know, like most of this spreads around Facebook more than um, any of the other platforms. He offers a service, is what he says, and it's not his job or the platform's job to siphon terrible information or incorrect or misinformation from from truth. Now, after the 2016 election, they obviously were there's pressure applied to so these these. Um, these companies to say like, listen, th this can't, you know, they, they, they realize like this can't just be the wild west where any piece of information that, that somebody wants to, to share and, and, you know, whatever can just get spread around there for people to consume because that's, that's dangerous to a democracy and that's dangerous to, to people who don't know any better. And um, obviously while we try to, you know, make the world more media literate, um, there are lots of folks that are susceptible to it for lots of different reasons. And, um, the, the media companies want nothing to do with it. They just they want you to be the ones that have to make that that call. Now, what can we do? Um, we, we certainly need some sort of regulation there to, uh, you know, because what we have there is like these organizations are basically de facto governments that say that they'll regulate themselves. And, you know, like if governments and organizations and companies and corporations could could regulate or chose to regulate themselves, we wouldn't have regulations to begin with in a lot of ways, a lot of cases, right? We wouldn't have unions. We wouldn't have lots of different things that, that um that keep an eye on and, and protect the consumer and so like we need consumer protection against some of this harmful rhetoric that that just gets so casually thrown about right i agree and i, I agree. think 
I think since it's so new, that's where people are wrestling because I, I can guarantee on the other side of it, people will say, do you really want the government to be in charge then of what information gets put out and what doesn't? Like how much regulation are you talking? Because people are like, that could be a slippery slope. If they're saying you're allowed to say this, but you can't say that. You're allowed to say this, but you can't say that. And so what does that, I'm not saying I disagree overall, but I'm just saying logistically, that could be a tough one, I think, in terms of how do you, especially obviously in light of the different amendments and the freedoms that we have. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously newspapers, they can't print whatever they just want to. And uh, TV channels, they can't just advertise and, and do everything that they want. I just think like educating, you know, obviously we're in education, like educating how to identify fake news, how to identify those things and how to how to shut it down when when you see it. And obviously everyone's going, you know, as we all participate in social media, when we find those articles that are, you know, I mean, you know, spreading and people are it's you know, it seems as if the more controversial and the more controversial comments that's also a part of that algorithm that's going to get it seen more than something positive. But, you know, having that, that ability to be like, wait a minute, this, this is not real news. And, and knowing how to stop it and nip it is all we can really do, I think, to educate. Yeah. And, and you said it before, Kristen, too. I mean, like, well, you just said it now, too. But I, I wanted to circle back to that as well. Like you, you said that um, you know the, these algorithms promote content that sparks outrage, hate, and that it amplifies these biases that we already have. Like so, you know, I, I remember before you could react on Facebook in multiple ways. There was the like button, and, and what was the first? Re you know, the first uh, consumer feedback was, "Where's the dislike button? We want a dislike button, right?" But you know, but what that does, you know, as you said, is like it it, it causes what do you say? Sixty four percent of people being steered towards extremist groups. I mean that. Like, Those are the things that make people witnessed in this country, like this un unrest and and people like destroying storefronts and I mean unbelievable protest and upheaval and you know is there a correlation to what they've been seeing on social media or what's been given to them that I don't know you know I I know it's never something I thought I'd see we, we like blame. Wild West. We blame we, we, we blame our politicians and, and some of that blame is deserved. Right. Um, we blame, you know, celebrities and, and things like that, people with platforms. Right. But we have to provide the platform is being provided to them. Right. Like, the, you know, it, it's not it's not just that these things are being said. It's 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 how easily we make these things to, again, to be shared. We are the user. We are being used. And that's that's the key. Right. We're being used, and and by being used, you're not making your own decisions. And I think, at least for me, I would say we all agree. Like social media, like you said at the very beginning, Kristen, there's wonderful opportunities, there's wonderful um, uses for it. But being aware of everything, and this is where our students are at. Our students grew up in this age. Our students grew up in like this is their normal. They cannot reference another point in life where this isn't normal to be around social media, to be around all these various platforms, all this various uh, these news outlets. And so, uh, like you said, you're, you're correct. Like, it is on us, too, as educators to help them out. Like we are ushering them out of school and into the quote unquote real world. And it bothers me that term. Anyway, like that's part of our job. We're preparing. We're supposed to be preparing them. Mm -hmm. 
for life after high school. And this, whether we want to address it or not, this is a huge part of life. And okay? more so than do they know who wrote the Declaration of Independence? Hopefully they, they do, right? But obviously we have our content. Yes, we need to know that's our job first and foremost. But I think we would be negligent to a, some degree if we don't address these issues that we see. Like we see these students hours on end, day after day, either virtually or in person, and just making them aware. Now, we're not saying you need to you know, get rid of all your accounts. We're not saying you need to do this and do that because there are a lot of positive things that can come from this. And we've seen that. We shared about that, talked about it. But we need to be aware, like you guys are trying to point out, like there are a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot that's going on behind the scenes. Okay that we need to make sure that we're uh, paying attention to as well. And in the midst of all it, uh, maybe it's a side topic, but we're a very fast paced culture, right? A very fast paced society. Aaron, you mentioned even sitting in silence, like what are we doing? We're checking things, right? And just because I like to quote Gandhi when possible, you like this quote by his, there is more to life than increasing its speed. Mic drop right there, boom. But just being able to take those moments and take those times to you know look and, and, and appreciate. So how do we do it though? How do we kind of maybe take a deep breath? Maybe some of us go through life and we're like, always like, in, we always inhale, like we don't really exhale, right? We're just, ah, we're so bound up or whatever. Um, you might need some Metamucil for that, but that's a whole other story. Oh Here's some advice from the experts. Uninstall apps that are wasting your time. And this is where, I guess this is where personal responsibility comes into play too. You need to know yourself on some level, like, Evaluate. Do I need? Is this necessary? Do I really need these? This app? Do I need this news source? Do I need this game? Do I need whatever it is? So they say to uninstall apps that are, that are just wasting your time. Turn off notifications. Yeah, K Mills and I, we've done that. We talked about that. Hey, hey Ron, if you uh, happen to go down that path, you keep us posted after a few weeks or whatever, and you let us know how that's playing out for you. They say not to watch recommended videos or consume recommended content. Make the choice yourself. So I know those notifications, those recommendations pop up all the time, but you don't need, we don't need to hit play, right? We have a choice. We don't have to click, right? But it's tough. Like we mentioned addiction earlier and we we're talking, like I said, talking about addiction, we like to feel happy. People like to be happy. And when you see, Ooh, I got another like, boom, a little shot, a little dopamine perhaps, correct? You have 30 likes. Oh, now I have a thousand likes. I'm retweeted a million times. Like, that's played in our psychology. Like that's not by accident, right? These sort of things. Um, but anyway, yeah, to make sure we, we make those choices before you share fact check, which is what you're talking about, Aaron, there with the spread of fake news and, and Chris and talk about the different stats associated with that. They say, if you click on clickbait, you perpetuate the problem. So don't do it. Yeah. Don't click Ooh. on a sponsored ad. Don't do it. Limit screen time. And like I mentioned before, I was talking with some students just today, yesterday, the other day about it. And that's, I don't know, how would that make everybody feel if we actually honestly evaluated ourselves and we regularly checked the screen time on our phones and, roll, and went through, because they even break it down by apps. Oh, I was 30 minutes texting or 30 minutes on this app or an hour here. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to get a gauge like school-wide, like oh, yeah. survey. Um, they say no social media till high school. So for... The younger generation maybe not to en engage in that and we are talking about some of the stats put out earlier but i, I found one through pbs.org and from basically the past 15 years or so you can look at all the information that's out there and they looked at teen suicide rates 15 to 19 year olds and the suicide rates of 20 to 24 year olds and there is a steady incline for the past roughly 15 years 
And obviously it's not causation, but there has to be some sort of correlation. You have the iPhone coming out 13 years ago in 2007. Twitter came out in 2006. Facebook came out around that time period. All these technological advances that again have wonderful positives and benefits at the same time, it's been so new still in all of human history where we're at. But I think if you give it another few more, like we need to really evaluate the, does the net positive outweigh the net negative in some of these situations? And that'd be hard to say. Um, right. And then the, the other one here, they say, uh, work out considering, concerning at least with uh, people with children, work out a time budget with your kids. And or what do you think is reasonable? Or, or, or with yourself. Yeah. I'm just going off to some of the recommendations by the experts. We write that or even yourself yeah. um, to try and set those limits. You can even, I mean, phones have these things. You can say, okay, I can be on this app for like 20 minutes a day. I can right. be here. On this, and once you use it up, oops, you use it up. I mean, so, we do it a lot maybe for children, but maybe as adults, we should do that for ourselves. Because if we're honest, we probably waste a lot of time. We're, we always say we're so busy. Oh, I'm so busy. Life's good, but I'm so, so busy. Yet you can spend four hours a day looking at your phone. Right. Like that yeah. sort of stuff that just kind of reevaluating, re you know, what we do and, and why we do it. Well, and I think part of it even is acknowledgement. Like so when if you remember the dilemma essentially was split up into the three categories, mental health, the democracy and then the discrimination. Right. Aspect. So I, it, I think it would be interesting to to have a, a true, true perspective from from all ages where they actually share their, the, the dilemma. Do they fall into one of those categories? Do they feel less pretty than the person next to them? Do they feel less important because of what they see online? And truthfully, they might not even be able to, to identify that until, till something like this would bring it to a head. Right. And then what, once you've acknowledged where, what dilemma you have or where you're falling in this, that then it's time to reboot. Then it's time to reboot, rebuild and recharge, right? Where you could say, listen, like like me, I, I don't want to be this puppet. I want to hold all 52 cards. More importantly, I want my 11 year old to have all 52 cards, right? I want, I don't want Whatever choices she makes in life, I'm going to support, but I don't want her to feel pressure for any specific choice that she that she needs to make or or the like. Right. And, and I feel like that pressure comes from this. So if we could propose an advocacy or communication solution that could ignite the movement that we have, whether it's here, just us or it, we can take it bigger it would address the systemic forces to ensure that they serve the interests of the people and not the profits, right? Not for how they're getting money in their pockets. And it's interesting on, on the social dilemma website, they actually give you a planning event guide. If you were to, to host something like this and all of the necessary tools that you would need to, to start to implement it. And I, it, it's something I would definitely be interested in doing. I mean, it'd be a big undertaking, but in the end, I, I feel like it's worth it. I don't, I don't feel like we all see that we're puppets, right? Two things that stood out to me right off what you were just saying. One is, is it okay if I play with 54 cards and include the jokers? Yes. Okay. And the other one, I think you, you brought up a very excellent point about this idea of comparison. I've heard it said before that when we scroll through, especially on social media, 
we're, we're, we're comparing our entire existence with like the best snapshots of everybody else's life. That's all we ever see. Everything out there is so perfect. Right? Everybody else's life, look at this meal that they made. It looks delicious. Look, everybody's smiling and happy. Everybody's doing this. And I think like psychologically that has can have a very damaging effect because we then don't measure up, right? right? If we're honest, we're all insecure about something. And then when we see these things that are all out there, like it just reinforces those negative thoughts and those negative beliefs that we have on ourselves. And it's no wonder that some of these issues are being compounded across society, across age groups you know, that we see played out in schools and all those sort of things. You know, and, and obviously this is something that, you know, that we, we've admittedly, you know, struggled with ourselves and, you know, people of all ages, anyone uh, is susceptible to this. But, you know, as educators with our one of our primary concerns being that of our students or those of our students, um, we wanted to see how some of these things were perceived by, by them. So uh, we caught up with some of our students and asked them how social media has impacted their lives. And that's coming up right after the break. So stick around. The views and opinions expressed on Pod for Teacher are solely those of the authors and participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Freedom Area High School or the Freedom Area School District. Any account of this podcast without the written consent of Mark Zuckerberg is strictly prohibited. Would you say that like, as you scroll through like social media feeds, whichever apps they are, whatever that like, that it can have an impact on like the, your mood or the way you feel or anything like that? Um, depending on like what I'm on, like Instagram is more of like, I feel on news. Like it gives me like more news than TikTok would. So when I'm on there, I like see kind of what like is happening in the world more than I would on TikTok. So if like, depending on what I see, if it's something that's like not very positive, it might like put me down a little bit. But then when I see good things happening in the world, I like I brightens my mood. Would you consider yourself a, like a fairly avid viewer of YouTube? Yes. Okay. So like, um, what kind of videos do you like to watch when you get on YouTube? Um, basically like anything really, just anything I find in like my recommended section, just that kind of interests me. There's nothing like specific. I just find something like okay, I'll watch that. So. so you do you do take a lot of uh, a lot of your viewing options from the recommended section. Yes. If you had to estimate like the percentage of information that you see as you scroll through any social media app that is untrue or like that you would characterize as misinformation, like how much of that is out there by your uh, perspective? Really, for me. I don't really see a lot and like if if I can tell that it's like not right I normally google it and make sure like I'm not thinking something's wrong when it's actually right but normally like with all the things I follow it's like mostly all real or like it's not even news well do, do you feel like the a larger percentage of the population might have a little bit more difficulty determining some of that uh, as being untrue yeah I think that like I don't know how to put this nicely but like older people that like aren't really used to social media they go on and they like find fake news and then they believe it and then i think that'd just be the main demographic for people that want to spread false information and you think that younger people have a better yeah. uh, radar for that sort of thing yeah like i feel like they're better suited to like find the misinformation in a field of subjects and stuff 
Okay, so like when there's like a gap in the action, whether you're in class or at home or just kind of sitting around or whatever, how long do you think you can actually go without like pulling your phone out and looking at social media? Um, I think I can go like about like 30 minutes without it if I'm like actually being productive and doing something. Like if I have homework to do, I could stay off that while I'm like really focused on the homework. So. But if there's like, if there's really nothing going on or whatever, do you find it to be a lot more difficult to kind of keep it away? Yeah, because I just get distracted easily on it and I will spend probably hours on the phone because of like, there's nothing else to do. Do you think that social media has a big impact on uh, like students' attention during class or any other educational things? Yeah, I do think that social media does play a role in the attention span of students, especially during class. I know that in a lot of my classes I'll look around and a lot of students choose to be on their phones rather than doing the assignment that they're supposed to be doing during that class time. Um, I guess sometimes it just depends on what's going on on social media. If there's, you know, some drama or something that kids want to know what's going on, they'll be on social media more. Um, but, you know, it, it. I guess it just depends on what they're doing in class and what's going on during that day and stuff like that. Do you think social media is a major distraction in an educational setting? Yes, I think social media is a distraction anywhere. At a dinner, you could be sitting there on your phone instead of spending quality time with your family, and most people don't get to see their family. And even when you're in like a class, most people want to be on their phones and it becomes a big distraction. Does the existence of filters and image altering effects impact the way you feel about your appearance? Um, sure, because when you put some of the filters on, you look totally different than what you do in real life. So a lot of people use a little too much filters, but I mean, I don't know. Like, do you think people feel like obligated to apply filters a lot of the times when they're posting pictures of themselves online? Yeah, I, th I think they do because a lot of it's like a trend now. It's like if you don't have a filter, it's like why do you even take the picture anyway? So a lot of people edit it with filters to make them look better. On which apps do you spend most of the time and what makes those apps more engaging than others? I spend most of my time on TikTok and Snapchat because a lot of videos are funny on TikTok and then on Snapchat I can communicate with my friends. Uh, I spend a lot of time on TikTok as well just because of the, you know, the, six, the one minute format and just being able to swipe through the videos. Lots of melatonin. <laughs> what, wh why the one minute format? Why does that matter? Uh, because it's, it's just like video after video, so it's like constant engagement. And so it's something new every time. Are there any rules at your house like regarding social media or phone use, like no phones at the dinner table or screen time restrictions or apps that you're not allowed to download or use or anything like that? Um, yes. So during dinner, whenever we eat as a family, it's more like family time because we're never around. Uh, a lot of the kids have sports all the time or we're, we have like activities that we're out and about. So we never really have like family time. So that's, we're not allowed phones during dinner time. So we actually get to talk about things and then we're not allowed phones after a certain time. So that way we can like go to bed and like relax before bedtime. So like the younger ones that go to bed sooner have get off their phones quicker than the older kids so yeah i'd say when we come back 
the exit ticket. Stick around. This is Uncle Griff. You're listening to Pod for Teacher. Now back to the show. I think our friend there meant to say dopamine, but hey, we're still in a global pandemic and everyone could probably use a little melatonin too. Am I right? Um, anyways, Kristen, what were your biggest takeaways from the film? Well, I, obviously, I think the whole episode, we've just talked so much about those takeaways and how I do not want to be controlled by an algorithm computer program. But really, um, from those main points of that documentary, I'd really just like to know, like, is where can we go from here? Like, what do we do now in order to start educating? I, I like that, you know, I, I like that the experts in the film, like those that were in the tech industry are, they, you know, they kind of felt themselves to be puppets in some ways, right? So I, I, I like the fact that you have, uh, you know, folks like the filmmakers and those who are interviewed in the film that, that are trying to come up with ways to try to make this better for people. Like they didn't anticipate these things blowing out of proportion and snowballing as they have. They wanted to create a platform that that, that people enjoyed, that people like that like to like to use, and that connected people. They never envisioned it getting going this far off the rails. So, I mean, as someone who's not an expert, all all we can control. I mean, there's so many things that we've discussed in this podcast in you know episodes past where there are things that we can control and things that we can't control. Um, you know, we, we said it before, and Nate brought up a, a bunch of the points in the in the last little piece there that. We can control how we use this these platforms. We can control what we do to to kind of to push back and to step away or whatever. And ultimately, like the, the the platforms will have to respond accordingly. You know, like if if people start using them differently, um, hopefully, you know, those in power, those 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 in charge that, that control these algorithms and, and platforms or whatever will um, hopefully start to or some of them will continue to, to to try to do some of the right things to make this. Uh, less of an issue moving forward because we, we need their help also. It can't just be, you know, we can't rely on just the people to push back and to step away from it. It's already proven to be so addicting. So, so we got we got to try the, our best to try to, um, you know, maybe reevaluate our usage and, and things like that. So, so we are not also a statistic. Um, we, in, in, in our back in my day episode, which is season three, episode four, for those of you keeping score at home, we talked a little bit about technology and how education has transformed significantly over the past 30 years. And I think that it's safe to say that teachers have had to adjust some of their practices in response to the surge in social media. Um, we could say that change is inevitable, but how necessary is it for education to adapt to societal fads? What, Nate, what do you think? I think at the end of this episode and things what we're talking about, these are all tools. And as teachers, as educators, we're always presented with new tools. How many of us have sat through the next greatest fad in education? Any of you, can we raise our hands? You, you go through this training, right? You have this new thing that you need to do in the classroom. You have this that happens. And so are there benefits to some of these changes? Absolutely. I mean, just being able to communicate the way we are in the midst of this pandemic, being able to communicate and encourage and help students learn and all this, yes. But I think the, the downfall is how easy it can be just to get sucked in and feel like you need to do everything and use everything and incorporate everything and to bring it all in. And, and you're just a hot mess then. So it, again, it comes back to personal usage, not just as a consumer, but then also as an educator, that knowing, okay, this is beneficial for my students because 
I'm going to use this tool because just to use a tool to use it, it doesn't make any sense. Why am I going to go take all my tools out into the into the yard to dig a garden if I don't need it? Right? I don't need my chainsaw to help put a garden in. Right. But I think that's a at least that's my takeaway from this is this is a wonderful tool. While it, there is a lot of it felt kind of heavy in terms of there is a lot of negative re repercussions and we don't know the full ramifications of it. Um, it is a tool that can be used for good and, and just getting us there. I think going back to Kristen's question, like where do we go from here? Hopefully we can move towards a more positive um, you know, outcome. It kind of made me think of when we guys when last season, remember we talked about vaping and how new it was. Everybody's, oh, it's all safe and this and that. But then I give it some time. We looked at some of the more negative outcomes and harmful. Like this is, I mean, all this technology is wonderful, but there are things that we need to be aware of. And so again, it, like I said, just it's a tool. And hopefully as educators, we decide what tool is appropriate and how to best implement it for our students in the classroom. Good point. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, special thanks to those students who took the time to indulge us in our Man on the Street segment. And I know this is going to be a little counter uh, counterproductive or counterintuitive based on the episode, but follow us on Twitter. at <laughs> We promise not to blow you up with push notifications. Perfect. <laughs> or you can just turn off your push notifications. Um, you, can you can find me at A. Fitzpatrick CJE. I'm at Nland Jelly. And I'm at Kay Milanovic, but I have no notifications, so I probably won't see it if you message. You can open it up, though. You can still open the app, right? You can't open it anymore. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, if you want to help change how technology is designed, regulated, and used, visit thesocialdilemma.com. We'll leave that link for you in the show notes. Smash that subscribe button like it just told you it ate all the stuffing and leave a rating and a review wherever you found our pod. We like I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm not a big fan of stuffing, so that doesn't really bother me. I make my own stuffing. No stovetop for me. I make my own. Kristen, well, I'm yeah. Nate, I'm taking your share. <laughs> <laughs> um, please leave a rating and a review wherever you found our pod. We like stars as much as we like making outdated references our students will never understand. And, re <laughs> and reviews help more people find and connect with us. Until next time, we hope you all have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Bye, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.